0: Hey, I'm Nikki,
1: and I'm Emily,
0: and welcome to That Six-Letter Word, a podcast about being 20-something and living with that six-letter word that no one wants to hear, cancer. We are two friends that have lived and are living with this diagnosis, and we have some similarities and many differences. We dive into our experiences as young women, patients, friends, and survivors.
1: Our hope is that this podcast resonates with any person going through any challenge, not just cancer. And we're here to remind you that we're all just people taking life one step at a time and spreading joy as often as we can. Hey, Nikki. Hey, Emily. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just, uh,
0: you know, getting bored. It's quarantine, but...
1: Yeah. I feel like 2020 moved at a glacial glacial pace, but also extraordinarily fast
0: yeah I feel if that the makes same any way. sense a hundred percent I'm like I can't believe that for me it's weird because I'm hitting all these milestones it's been one year since like I went to the hospital one year since I started chemo like I'm moving through those milestones right now so I'm like I can't believe it's been a whole year because it feels like it was five lifetimes ago and then I'm also like nothing happened this year it moved so quick like what did I do in 2020 other than like redecorate my apartment 14 times like nothing <laughs> happened
1: <laughs> but whatever. yeah yeah, yeah, no, I feel that. I felt like we were in March for forever. And have you seen those memes that it's like January, February, March, 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 March December? <laughs> <laughs> that is how I, feel, I feel. Yeah, I feel like that is very accurate.
0: Oh man, well, welcome back to another episode of That Six Letter Word. I'm glad you tuned back in. Yeah, and today we're talking about fertility treatments. This is something that we both went through. Um, Before starting any kind of cancer treatment, I know that I obviously did it really quickly before I actually started treatment and you did it kind of as the, the pre, what's the right word, the insurance plan, right?
1: Yeah, I did it as the insurance plan, just because I knew I eventually would have to get chemo and radiation. And so I made the executive decision to do it when I was more fertile versus wait a little bit while longer and decrease the, I'd have, I run the risk of decreasing my fertility. So yeah, I think that's kind of how we differ, but we decided that we wanted to touch on this because I know we keep mentioning it in other episodes and we get a little bit into it, but we just wanted to take an episode to explain everything. And this will probably be a shorter episode just based off of our very limited knowledge of fertility. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this is, I guess we should make it clear, obviously neither of us are doctors. And if you're thinking about this or looking into it, obviously talk with your doctor a real person who's a licensed professional. Our goal here really is to just kind of explain what the experience was like from the perspective of someone I think for both of us who hadn't really heard much about it. I had a couple friends who had kind of looked into it before, but I really, I didn't know a lot about it. And I guess kind of the first thing we should talk about is that I don't know if it's super well known that chemo is something that threatens your fertility. Um, I guess probably the amount of young people that you know who have been through chemo probably isn't that many. So that maybe is why we don't hear a lot about it. But I think even in people who are young and have gone through chemo, you know, fighting the cancer tends to be the priority. And so this doesn't always come up with those people until it's too late. So this is something that we were both lucky. Our doctors kind of right off the bat said to us like, Hey, chemo can be a high risk to your fertility. And so we had the opportunity to kind of look into this quickly, but I think that's, you know, our biggest goal here is to just spread that awareness and kind of, you know, share what our experience was like from a non-official medical perspective. We both think we're experts now that we've spent so much time in offices, but <laughs> unfortunately neither of us have the papers, So, <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I mean, my only inkling of anything fertility was I've known people who have tried or who have gone through IVF. And so in my mind, and I knew freezing eggs was a possibility and all of that, but I had never really had to face the actual challenge of being told, hey, you have this diagnosis And I know, Nikki, yours was very much expedited in the process, but mine was kind of a simple, hey, you're going to have to have it one day and do it now or do it later. It's up to you. And so I chose to do it sooner rather than later. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I guess the flip side, mine was very quick. I talked about this a little bit, but kind of within the day of my first diagnosis, I met my oncologist and within, I mean, an hour probably of hearing like, hey, you know, we found this tumor. We're pretty sure that it's cancerous. We think it's lymphoma, but we don't know which type yet. Either way, we're going to start chemo in probably three weeks. And you are a 24-year-old woman who's pro- woman, excuse me, who's probably really fertile right now. Um, you should look into freezing your eggs because the chemo will be high risk to your fertility. And so mine moved really quickly. And my doctor kind of told me like, you have three weeks to get this procedure done, Um, then I'm starting chemo. And so if you can't do it quickly, we won't do it at all. Uh, So mine moved a lot more quickly. Either way, I'm really glad we did it. And I think something too that I I knew I probably wanted kids, but I was 24. I really didn't have any plans to do that. So this was, I think for me too, just an insurance plan. And I guess for anyone going through this, whether you want kids or not, if you're able to do it, it's a really, uh, we're really fortunate that we were able to. Get this insurance plan, for lack of better terms. Um, even if we don't decide to use them, it's really nice knowing that we can, given everything we've been through. I think.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if we decide that this isn't the path we want to go down, or we have so many leftover eggs, I know I personally want to donate them, anything like that. But I think that what you just touched on, Nikki, kind of gets us into our topic of so. How did you get referred? to your fertility doctor?
0: Yeah, so I mean, like I said, mine was quick. So my oncologist, like within that first hour said, hey, you know, um, we expect chemo to start in about three weeks. You should look into freezing your eggs if you're interested. And she wanted me to talk to my OBGYN immediately about that. Unfortunately, the hospital that I was at works with my OBGYN practice. So a doctor from my gyno was in the hospital rounding. So that same day I saw a gyno who works with my gyno that I usually see, and kind of talked to him for, you know, 30 minutes about what I was about to walk into. And he referred me to a fertility doctor that day. So I went and saw a fertility doctor. The first day I got out of the hospital, Um, I went to the hospital on Friday, went through all of my initial tests, got out on Tuesday and saw the fertility doctor Wednesday to start this whole process. So it was quick, but um, kind of my doctors referred me to the next one and to the next one. And I ended up in the hands of a really great doctor who I loved, who was our fertility doctor. Um, I know your experience was, you also went through a few doctors, so I I guess what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, Um, so about my two week post-op appointment, I met with my neurosurgeon and then also my neuro-oncologist and obviously knew that this was cancerous at this point and they recommended that I meet with the oncology obstetrician on staff, or, I mean, there are a ton at MD Anderson. And so at my next appointment, I met with her. I got, for lack of a better term, probed at 8 a.m. to figure out (laughs) how fertile I was. Um, Side note, extremely fertile. But I, so I went through the oncology obstetrician, and she kind of talked me through the whole process. And Mine was a little different in the fact that I kind of got told the actual statistics of, okay, if you start chemo now, like type of brain cancer, we're just going to say you're taking a generic ke- like chemo drug for brain cancer. If you started right now and I was 23 at the time, you would have a 50% chance of going into menopause early. And then as I, as the years increased, it, like by the time I think I was 30, it was something like 80% chance that I'd go in. And I don't know if any of those facts are right. I do not have them in front of me, but it's something wild like that. But they told me that I couldn't necessarily, I couldn't freeze them with them like at MD Anderson. So I was actually lucky enough that in my play group growing up, one of the dads of one of the girls that I played with is the top fertility doctor in Austin. And so, and it happens to be my parents' neighbor. So I had, I got an appointment with him and I decided to pull the plug and, or pull the trigger and just be like, Hey, do it now. All of that. So through references, I got to my doctors. Um, but I mean, I'm very thankful for everything that, uh, I was had been put through and all the net, like all the networking, like networking works. It's incredible. really
0: Yeah, I was really glad that, I mean, again, I didn't know my doctor right away, but as soon as I walked into her office, my fertility doctor and said, yeah, you know, so-and-so from, from my GYN practice sent me, she was like, great, yep. I also know your oncologist, you know, here we are. Um, something that I was really grateful for is this fertility doctor, I walked in and we sat down and we started talking through the process and I kind of told her like, I have a three week time limit I'd really like to do this quickly. And she did the same thing. She like probed me, did the blood work, did everything to figure out where in my cycle I was. And she was like, yep, if we start today, we can do it. And, you know, of course my mom and I started asking all the questions of how we would pay for it. Cause we knew this was probably expensive. She was really awesome. Cause she said like, I don't care. We're going to figure it out. I want to do this for you. If we have to make it a plan over several years, we'll do it. So I was really fortunate that my doctor, I think given my circumstances, willing to work with me, but something else that i mean both of us you found it first but we were both able to go through a an organization that helped pay for mostly the drugs is what they technically cover so i do you want to talk about Liz Strong and how you found them or
1: yeah you were first yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> i so at my fertility practice uh, given the fact that i was a cancer patient the nurse of my doctor as she was walking me through how to inject yourself, all of all of the different things that you actually have to do to your body. We were talking about costs and everything, and she brought up this organization, Live Strong, and it's like specifically the fertility division. And my fertility practice actually did the grunt work of getting everything set up for me and contacting Live Strong Fertility. And I got, I think it was a $2,000 grant to cover or higher. I don't even know. Do
0: yeah, you know? for me. So the numbers that I understood this, basically the drugs themselves can cost anywhere from seven to $10,000 just for the drugs that you're injecting for the, you know, eight to 10 day period and live strong without
1: insurance, right?
0: With that, uh, maybe it's without insurance. Yeah. Cause my insurance didn't cover any of the fertility stuff.
1: So oh, see, I, I my employer did. <laughs> yeah, so
0: probably that's what it is. So my insurance didn't cover any of it. So without insurance, it's seven to ten thousand dollars just for the drugs. And then like, you know, when you the doctor visits, the surgery itself, kind of the other in between was around I think three or four thousand dollars. That's just raw cost showing up off the street because my insurance didn't cover any of this. So Livestrong, the way that they operate is they have a program with a pharmacy, and I wish I remembered, but there's there's a specific pharmacy that is, uh, like a charity pharmacy. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but so Livestrong works with them directly. And at least in my case, basically Livestrong paid this pharmacy to send me the drugs. So they literally sent drugs to my doctor's office with my name taped on them that said, here's the drugs for these 10 days that will stimulate your ovaries. We'll kind of talk about what those are, but Livestrong paid for all the drugs. So I was still responsible. I think when all is sudden done for full transparency, it was about $3,500 for me to do the surgery procedure, I guess we could call it, the doctor visits. Um, it covered the first two years of storing the eggs. I call it rent for the eggs. Um, so that's kind of what I ended up having to pay out of pocket. If I hadn't had the Livestrong sponsorship, we'll call it, it would have been between twelve dollars and $15,000, which would have been prohibited for me. I wouldn't have been able to do that, just given where I was at at the time. So I'm really grateful for that. And like Emily said, my doctor, it's funny because as soon as I said I might have to go through the fertility treatments or, or egg freezing, Emily was there. And so she was like, oh my God, you know, here's Livestrong. Here's the info. You should apply. You should talk to them. And so she kind of warmed me up to that. So I went online and like right before my first appointment had made had made an account with the Livestrong website. And so when I got to my appointment, the nurse said like, hey, there's this program called Livestrong. They do a lot of good work. I went to make you an account so I could like be proactive and help you out. But it says you already have an account. And I was like, oh yeah, actually my friend's been through this. Like I knew to sign myself up. So I'm, I'm already a pro. So I got it. So it was funny because they were just like, okay, usually people have no idea what's going on. So it's weird that you know what you're walking into. And obviously because of you, I, I knew. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's what it looked like for me. But they basically, they're, in my case, they covered the drugs. That was kind of the official what they were able to cover through this pharmacy, and I'll have to look up the name of it. I don't know.
1: Yes, well, <laughs> all of that. So essentially, Nikki just said it all. But um, I know I, I at least had to. I had the drugs sent to my actual residence, so I was in the apartment at a time to- at the time and getting going to the package room and having what you know is a case of fertility drugs that you need to carry back up to your apartment is a wild, wild walk um but yeah i mean i know like through all of our or at least through like all the fertility preservation process there's like a ton of paperwork that we had to go through even before starting and i know i think that's more for like i I know i was like injecting myself and then also going to all of these appointments to grab like to sign contracts and sign documentation And I had to get my blood drawn every two days and at the end every day to just test my, see where my hormone levels are, see how my follicles is what they call them in your ovaries, um, how those were maturing. Cause I guess like before the egg drops, it's a follicle. And so they start, they like were measuring how big my follicles were getting at every doctor's appointment, which was every three days Um, and all said and done, I think it was a, it was a two week process for, um, just to get all of the eggs that were, were within me out that were mature enough. Um, and I know at least when I went through the injections, I was injecting myself and I was mixing it myself and, It is very nerve-wracking because I was like, what if I do not hit the right place? Like all of this stuff and my nurse and doctors were great and they gave me a rectangle on my body that was right above, like right below my belly button and up down towards like my upper thigh. They go, if you hit this area, you're fine. Just don't worry about it. And so I would sit down and do it in my leg. But I don't know. It's just, it's, and I remember, I think it's about 36 hours before the actual procedure. You have to inject yourself with like human growth hormone. And my uh, fertility doctor, I think I've said this before, but he was like if you take a pregnancy test from now until like two weeks out it's going to come back pregnant like yes you're pregnant and i had an md anderson appointment that next week and at that point i was getting like for i was getting pregnancy tested at the wazoo because i was going through all these different procedures there and i was like oh no i have to explain to them like what why it's showing us pregnant oh <laughs> uh, but it it was it was just a lot it
0: is a lot yeah i i Emily basically covered it all. What you should know too, when we say we're like mixing drugs, it's not like they don't send you a nicely pre-made shot where you just take the cap off and you inject yourself. You have like two to five little vials of like there's a powder in one then there's a saline in the next and then there's also a pre-made shot that you put in the first one and mix it up and then pull it out of the second one. Like there is a process that you have to go through. Like these drugs are in your fridge. Like, Oh yeah. It's just a lot. So
1: I had, I, my doctor had provided me videos of how to actually mix them and like written instructions and everything. And we like sat down, did it in the office, like how to mix it, all of that.
0: Yeah. My doctor, they showed me and they gave me instructions, but they did not provide videos. That's a really great um, recommendation I would make to them. But so it's scary. It's just like I want to make it clear that it's like a weird experience. And my, it was funny because like my mom knew that she couldn't remember anything. So every time I was doing it at my parents' house every night, I would like tell her, I'm like, all right, turn on the lights, turn off any background noise. I need sheer focus. No one speak to me. I was like a mad scientist at the kitchen counter doing all of this. And if she interrupted my focus, I would freak out. So it was a lot. And then yeah, injecting yourself is very scary. It depends on your level of comfort with needles. My level of comfort is zero. Um, I don't love needles. When I get shots, I can't look at them. And what's crazy is while I was doing this, I was still on blood thinners, and the blood thinners that I were on were via injection. So I had two vials of blood thinners twice a day and this hormone shot. So I was injecting myself five times a day for these two weeks that I was doing this. I have a picture of my stomach. Like there were just I was doing it all basically in like my belly fat area and. I mean, there's spots everywhere because I was injecting myself five times a day for two full weeks. The very first time I went to do the injection, I told myself I was going to do it. And I like sat down, I was ready to go. And then as soon as I got the needle even close to my skin, I hysterically broke down, couldn't do it. My mom had to do it every single time. So like those two weeks, there was one night where I went to dinner with a few friends and like we had to leave. My mom came with me, first of all. It's a good thing she's friends with my mom's friend or my friend's mom, excuse me. So we all went out to dinner together and then we had to leave like the restaurant at like 9.55 to go inject me in the car at 10 PM on the dot. Like it, it's a very weird thing. So I just want to be transparent that like it's scary and you're like in the car injecting yourself in a parking lot while your mom's injecting you with drugs that you had to premix ahead of time. Like it's just, it's a very weird experience that I, I don't wish on anyone, but if you're doing it, find a friend, take videos, take notes, do your best. I, <laughs>
1: Yeah, And I mean that's also a good point to touch on is it would had to be on like the exact time morning and night. I remember I I shot up in air quotes in the bathroom of a restaurant. <laughs> I like yeah. had my little lunchbox with like my uh, ice pack in there with my like with my mixers and all of that and. I was in the stall and just injecting myself and if anybody had looked under the stall I think they thought I was gonna shoot up with heroin it's I (laughs) forgot about that (laughs)
0: it's a lot and yeah and it's just it's crazy because like I said I was doing the blood thinner so it was just everything was like certain times and yeah it was it was scary I remember too the morning that I shaved my head I was doing these meds and I like my appointment was at like 9 a.m and my dad came with me because my mom knew she like wouldn't be able to sit and watch me shave my head but then it was like 9.55 and we weren't done at the salon yet. We literally had to call my mom. She had to drive to the salon separately, meet us in the parking lot. I had to get in her car for her to shoot me up in the parking lot of the salon. Then I'd like go back in and finish my haircut with my dad and she just left. Like it, It's just, it's a very weird time that when we go back through the details, we're like, what the fuck was going on? Like, how were we doing this and acting like things were normal? I mean, we probably weren't, but it's a lot. Um, so that's the two weeks leading up to the procedure, I guess. Is there anything else about that time that you remember really specifically? I just remember shooting myself up. Yeah, there's doctor's appointments almost every day. You're getting blood work. They are probing. They're, they're doing ultrasounds. What do they call it? They're doing vaginal ultrasounds, like every two to three days to look at. And your they're getting
1: up in there. They're, they're going in into there. the ovaries. <laughs> they're
0: in there. It is not <laughs> ideal. Uh, It's an experience. So yeah, and that's happening like every two or three days. It's a lot of appointments. I, I really, I think a lot about if someone who, like both of us were able to, I guess you were, were you, you were back to work, but you were able to take the time to do this. I wasn't working at this point.
1: Yeah, I was still working half days at that point. So I would schedule all my appointments in the afternoon minus like the day of my procedure I just took off yeah so, so I just wanna... I was, we were fortunate enough to n- have not have to worry about juggling work or kids or any other responsibility that one may have so we hundred percent recognize that we are lucky in that scenario
0: yeah exactly I just want to acknowledge that because i I can't imagine if I was someone who like needed to use public transportation to get to these appointments or yeah had other kids to take care of like it's just a lot so I do want to make that clear and also like if you talk to anyone who's going through this, ask how you can help because like we both had parents nearby and and friends and people who were able to help us get to and from these appointments. And I guess like in my case, my mom was at everything with me shooting me up and all of that, but like it can be a lot. So I just want to acknowledge that. And for anyone who's thinking about doing it, like have your support system in place beforehand because it's just a lot of time.
1: Oh yeah. Shout out mom and dad for, for being there. (laughs) (laughs) And also my sister, because she came to babysit me the day of my procedure, because my mom was freaking out because she had an appointment. She was like, I don't want Emily to be by herself. And so there came along Elizabeth with a little baby Madeline, who was only two months old at that point. And she was oh. just like, you okay? And I was like, I'm fine.
0: <laughs> leave me alone. It's fine. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I mean, I guess that's all the leading up. So do you want to talk about your experience in the procedure itself and kind of the immediate aftermath or?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can touch on that. Um, So, my procedure was first thing in the morning, and because we were going, or we were put under general anesthesia, we couldn't eat anything for a a period of time beforehand, and, but also, they were saying that you need to drink, like, a huge inordinate amount of water for somebody who has to be there at 6 a.m., and, like, and I mind you i we were getting our blood drawn like our veins were shot at this point so morning of the procedure i remember i was back in the in my procedure room before i was i, I don't know what it's called like the getting ready room like where yeah, they were putting like, like in the op kind of yeah yeah pre-op but it was also post-op because i went back to that room but i remember like the nurse was so dismissive and rude to me and she was oh. like she was like well I can't find a vein have you drank enough water and I was like one it is 6 a.m and two that's all I've been doing like I drink water like nobody's business and my mom was there and she goes I've seen, she drinks water I've seen it like I see it she drinks a huge amount And the nurse goes, well, we'll have to find a vein in your hand. And like being, getting a vein in your hand can be really painful. I just want you to know that. And in my head, I was like, you
0: bitch. That's so rude. I can't. Oh my gosh.
1: I'm obsessed. I was just like, like, okay, like fine. Like I've been through brain surgery. I think I can handle an IV in my hand. And so I just remember that. And then the actual procedure was pretty short. I think I was, like, in total under anesthesia for only 20 minutes. Like, I remember getting wheeled back at 645 and waking up, and it was, like, 7.05. And I was, like, oh, my God, because it felt forever. But they ended up – and I don't know how, like, the exact, like, process of getting the eggs out, if it's, like, a vacuum. So or that, my the way that I've
0: described it to everyone, the first thing that you should know is they, like – they, like, fill your stomach area with air, so they have, like, space to move around.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: So that's, like, why you're so stupidly bloated after part of it, is that, like, they literally inject some air into the area, so that, like, they have space to maneuver, is what they explained to me. So that's crazy, first of all. And that's why we were, like, wicked bloated afterward, which I'm able to get into. But my understanding is that they basically, like, stick needles in the ovary, and yeah, like, I this is so disgusting. I think of it like a straw where they like stick it in and then like (laughs) pull it out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The the sound effect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's my understanding. We need a doctor to explain it to us because clearly we don't know. But basically, yeah, they put you under, they add air to your system to give them space to work. And then they like vacuum it out. And it's short. I mean, I remember I woke up afterward and I was like, mom, did they do the procedure? Like, why am I back in the pre-op room like what happened my mom was like yeah they're done it's been like 30 minutes what are you doing like I had no idea what year it was so that was odd but yeah that's the procedure it's short it's anesthesia so you have to take time to wake up and like I get really sick with anesthesia so I was sick afterward that's normal for me but then you're just bloated
1: yeah and they ended up getting 27 eggs from each of my ovaries, or not from each, in total, from both of my ovaries, um, they found out that four were immature. So they have to reach this like certain size before they become quote unquote mature. It's like a certain millimeter that they have to be. So super small, but um, some of them didn't reach that size. So they were classified as immature. And then when all was said and done, when they got taken to the cryobank frozen all of that three didn't survive that transportation slash freezing process so i have 20 eggs sitting in a cryobank right now and then um nikki do you want to talk about yours and then i'll get into my my yeah mine's
0: very similar numbers actually they also mine got 28 out of my body Um eight were not viable, so or yeah, weren't mature enough. And then two died in the freezing process. So I have 18 on ice. I keep joking, they're in an undisclosed location. I haven't asked the question yet where they physically are, which people are gonna listen to this and be like, how do you not ask? I'm like, well, there was a lot going on, so I didn't ask. I still I should call them and check in. I don't know. Um so somewhere in America, my eggs are on ice. There are 18 of them. And yeah, and and just kind of We touched on this, but you basically pay rent for these eggs until you need them. So you continue to pay an annual fee for this cryobank to hang on to them, to keep them safe uh, until you want them. So that's just an added cost too. I think it's relevant to say that, that's just an added cost of doing this is that you end up paying money every year. It's not wicked expensive. I think mine is like, I want to say it's 450 a year. I don't know what yours is.
1: Oh, see mine is like, you could kind of get like bulk prices. See, and so m- here, might be that too. I I need to ask. I don't know. Yeah. So I I know this because I just got a bill in the mail to yeah. re renew my lease. Um, but I think it's like if you add on like a certain amount of years, it's like the first year, like one year's always like pretty expensive. Like in my mind, four fifty is expensive. And then I think with like I opted in for the three year rent. And I think it was a little less than a thousand. So if it's like, as it goes on, it gets cheaper. Um, but it is also a cost. And one of the things, and I'll get back to my whole side effect thing that I had after it. But one of the things that stuck out in my head was like, when we were signing all the documents, we got slid this piece of paper that was like, okay, like, if you do end up having to use one or multiple of your eggs, here is the total cost and I think in terms of unfreezing the egg like knowing that you've gone through the egg freezing process and like the retrieval and everything and then like insemination like collecting like the sperm from like your partner or like a donor and then having it put into you or a surrogate it was close to twenty thousand dollars yeah, for and one round, and that's exactly that's to, to try it. it. Yeah, and so that's why, and I know people out there either do or don't know this, but when you do IVF, they do multiple eggs at a time because like the chances increase with the with the more eggs you have that are implanted, or at that point embryos. So, I thought yeah. that was I thought that I like literally choked on my water. I was like, <laughs> That's
0: what's so crazy. And like, I was talking to someone about that, something that gets me, I mean, there's a lot of things that get me fired up, but one of them is that a lot of companies, I think people and companies are getting better about it now. And I think with every passing year, there's like some reform on different levels, but there are a lot of health insurance programs or companies that won't cover that. Like they won't help you a lot with that. And if they do, you're still gonna pay your three or $4,000 deductible in a lot of cases. So that's just something that I I urge people to think about. And, you know, if you care enough, go talk to your local legislators, go do whatever. But it's kind of crazy that like the two of us who just got put in these crap situations will have to go pay anywhere from three to $20,000 just to try and have a kid. Uh, It's kind of wild. So just, I don't know, something to think about. I don't want to get too political, but I think it's worth talking about and, as you look into healthcare, if you're in that industry, if you're looking at your company programs, um, it's just really interesting and it could be prohibitive for people.
1: Yeah. And I was, and I'm lucky that I work at a company that gives you up to a certain amount for fertility treatment. So, I mean, but granted, I still had to meet my deductible on that, but I, sorry, one real quick thing, but I remember I did get I was put in touch with somebody who was talking about all the healthcare companies, organizations, com- like any corporation needs to provide fertility um, preservation or fi- like family planning or anything like that in their healthcare. And I actually wrote a little blurb to the Texas legislature being like, this is why this is important and not yeah. all of that. But that's, awesome. that's actually just came back. There it is. There we go. Um, yeah. Okay. Now sliding right back on into the after. Um, so I, Nikki's and my experiences were a little different after. Um, one, I didn't know that they had bloated me with air. So that was something I just learned right now. Um, but they also, when I was going through all of my fertility treatments, they were concerned that they would overstimulate my ovaries, meaning that they would essentially like just keep stimulating. I don't even know like what the right term is for it, but it's incredibly painful. And my fertility doctor was like, if you have it, you know you have it. Like it hurts to walk. It hurts to do any like bare minimal activity. And when I got the call, like, I think it was, like, 36 hours before my procedure, I don't know if it was, like, shown in my blood work or whatever, but I was at risk of that. And so I got put on these antibiotics, they said, as, like, in quotes, precaution, and and then I also had to, like, schedule my, like, procedure stuff that day um, before, but my after, I was in agony. Like, I slept with a heating pad, which is probably not super fire, like, fire safe. <laughs> not recommended. Um, yeah, I would not recommend it, but, like, I did it. And I slept for a, with a heating pad for, like, at least a week after. Uh, it hurt to walk. It hurt to go over bumps in my car. It hurt to laugh. It hurt to sneeze. It hurt to cough anything. Um, and I looked like I was about to enter my second trimester of pregnancy. Like I was bloated out the wazoo. And I mean, I know you, um, like we just had Haley and, um, like the rest of the college gang on, but like they were with me, though Haley and Emily Smith were with me those days after my fertility treatment. Like it sucked. And I took an old, shoulder surgery pain pill just to get through the flight I was just like I just need to sleep (laughs) um and so that was my experience with it and so my recommendation is if you don't through it just based off of my experience don't it's not like if you're thinking about it like just as a insurance policy if you're like in your early 20s don't that's that's my advice. Like it's not worth,
0: that's fair. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, mine was kind of different afterward. I was very bloated. I definitely looked the part of like, I looked like I was probably two months pregnant for about two weeks, which bothered me a lot, but, um, I didn't really have any pain. It just, I felt bloated. Like I always felt full and I always felt like I was waddling, like kind of that experience. I didn't really have any pain associated. So I was really lucky on that front. Um, the one thing I will say that my mom and I kept talking about was this was happening between me getting the different biopsies and me getting a full diagnosis. So I think this was like the most positive thing that happened in that whole first six months for us. Cause it was really just like, okay, like you have cancer, you're going to do chemo. It might threaten your fertility. Like there was so much happening that the fact that we were able to do this and do it quickly and that it was enabled by all this other stuff. I feel really lucky that I was able to just because there was so much other scary shit going on that having this insurance plan was really good. And like Emily said, I, Yeah, it's a lot of money and a lot of pain and time if you don't have to, if you're young. If you're getting older and you're able to find the time or, you know, you and your doctor agree that it's necessary for one reason or another, it's doable, but it's not a fun thing. It's not a holiday in any way. Uh, That's for sure.
1: Even though I did get time off of work for it, so like, uh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You gotta take what you can get, you know, (laughs) Um,
1: Nikki, do you want to touch on kind of your after, especially with going through like chemo and everything?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the other things that was interesting. So I, like I said, I did all the egg freezing stuff right before I started chemo. So I froze my eggs probably like a Monday or a Tuesday. And then I started chemo the following Monday. So this all happened really quick. Something else during chemo that I wanted to touch on kind of just related to fertility. There's like Emily said, kind of the risk of chemo is that your ovaries will shut down as if you were going through menopause. It induces premature menopause and kind of a way for them to lower the risk of that. And again, statistics in terms of how much it lowers the risk, I don't know. I'm sure someone told me and I probably doesn't didn't listen. My mom probably has it written down somewhere, but there are ways for them to like simulate menopause in your body while you're going through chemo. So it almost tricks your body into thinking you've already done that. So it doesn't happen for real I guess is the best way that I can explain it so when I was going through chemo there's a drug called Lupron that I got it's a shot they give it to you in your butt every like 28 days and it's something that like effectively turns your ovaries off and so it tries to cut them off from the rest of your body such that the chemo which has highly toxic or I'm sorry such that your blood which has highly toxic chemo flowing through it will interact with your ovaries just a little bit less less and pose less risk to them like permanently shutting down is kind of the layman's term way that I would explain it. So that's a drug that was covered by my insurance. And so my doctor basically said like, it won't hurt you. It will induce menopause while you're going through chemo. When you're done, you'll just stop taking the shot. And within a month or two, your body will kind of be back on a normal operating rhythm, we'll say. But during they kind of actively turned my ovaries off. And so that reduced the risk of chemo causing this you know, unalterable lack of or loss of fertility. I don't know if that's possible for every person. Again, I don't. I think it lowered the risk by like fifteen to twenty five percent. I think is the number they gave me. So it's it's notable. It probably would have been really expensive if my insurance hadn't covered it, but because they did, it was like a no brainer to just say yeah, go ahead. Um, you do get symptoms as if you were going through menopause. So I would have like full blown hot flashes during chemo. But one of the things that my doctor explained to me was like your body's already going through so much that like defining what symptoms are from Lupron this drug and what symptoms are from everything else, you'll hardly be able to tell. Like you'll be going through so much that I wouldn't worry about the fact that you'll have hot flashes. And I was like, okay, crazy. And then that was completely true. Like I got hot flashes. and it was like, yeah, I'm just like hot in the um, hospital. Like it wasn't, it wasn't anything, um, didn't stop me from doing anything, we'll say. So that was something else that I was able to do. I'm sure that there's probably other similar drugs, but it's something that it's kind of weird, but if you're in this situation, you can talk to your doctor, they have kind of some other options to try and help your body avoid the fate of your ovaries being permanently damaged, basically. So that was my experience. Like I said, o- overall, I'm grateful I was able to do it, but it definitely is not like a fun or easy thing. It's a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, oh yeah. And if all else fails, Emily and I are both gonna just have our 17 to 18 children no, you have 20, right? Yeah, I have 20. Okay. Emily's going to have her 20 children. I'm going to have my 18 children and we will just we'll move into a mansion together and get a show on TLC. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know that's oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be great. But one thing I do just want to reemphasize is these were Nikki's and my take. Every person is different. We're not doctors as you can very much understand from you this the podcast. <laughs> Like very much like vacuuming out eggs. Like that's probably not what goes on. Um, I think my straw sound effect was probably accurate. Yeah, I mean, probably. (laughs) But I just want to just reemphasize that these are our takes. Everybody's different. Um, Everybody's experience is very different. And if this is what you seriously want to consider and is an option and everything, like very much go talk with your your doctor about it and figure out your options but I think that pretty much wraps it up right
0: yeah I think we covered most of it I I, we kind of already did but I do want to give a shout out to Live Strong Fertility I think we'll probably add a link it's something that whenever people talk to me and they're like oh you know what charities are you passionate about this is one that like I said they made this plausible for me so I'm really passionate about them continuing to do that work so if you or feeling like giving, what is it, Giving Tuesday, whatever that is. I think it already passed.
1: Yeah, whatever. it already passed. <laughs> <If> we're trying <laughs> to
0: throw, you know, $20 at a charity that does good work, we might add a link to Livestrong. They helped both of us be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I'm sure there are plenty of other good ones out there. But we're really grateful for that. And, yeah, like Emily said, that's us. It was crazy, but...
1: Uh, yeah, but we're very... We're when all said it done, it. we're very grateful and thankful for that we were given this, this option
0: because yeah. I know a
1: lot of people don't have this.
0: Yeah. And, oh, one other thing that I should talk about because this is unique to my experience so far. One of the questions I kept asking my doctor was, like, how will I know after chemo whether I am infertile or not? Like, how do I know if that's what happened? Do I know right away? Can I take a test? And they basically said, like, no, we can't give you one test four months after chemo and give you a definitive answer that like doesn't really exist they kind of explained that if you get a regular period again you're likely still fertile because that's an indicator that like everything's kind of back on track and working but even if you don't get a regular period it's something that like when you start to have kids you can take some tests and look at like your hormones and your cycles and there's different ways to look at it but it's something that people have asked me like oh well do you know if you're infertile and I mean, my answer is that I have gotten a period again, this is probably too much information, but I think it's relevant. Uh, my answer is that I have gotten a period again, so we're pretty sure that I'm not infertile, but we won't know until I go and try to have kids. So for anyone who's curious about what that looks like after chemo, that's kind of the answer. It's, it's really not a definitive test you can take. It's just a lot of, is your body back to what we understand is normal? And then when you try to do these things, will it do what you want it to? And we don't know, so I might try to have kids in five years, and nothing will work, or I'll get pregnant on the first try. it's It's really not clear. So just if someone in your life has gone through this, that's kind of the short and long answer. It's not super easy to tell. So if they're not sure, and it's a little bit upsetting to be unsure, um, you know, hopefully you can make space for them and, and help them experience that feeling because it's kind of weird. It's kind of scary to just still not really know, even after having done everything right I guess
1: yeah 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 yeah. but no I think that was a really great thing to touch on because I know that that would be a question for me even after I go through all of my stuff but no should we should close it out and we'll link all the live strong fertility stuff in in our episode bio so no concern about that but please go check them out they're great
0: yeah we like them So, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to That Six-Letter Word.
1: We hope you get out there, be kind, spread joy, get weird, and fuck shit up. And we'll talk next time. Bye! Bye.
0: This podcast is recorded and edited by Nikki Selfie Camp and Emily Sweet using GarageBand. Our song is from GarageBand and our cover art is by Jazz Parker. We'll talk to you next time.